Hello and welcome to another episode of Younger by the Minute. I am your host, Jamie Spicer, and with my lovely co-host, Jennifer Spicer, and I am very excited because we have our first official guest. So we are Rodriguez. She is a family care physician who practices medicine in O'Fallon, Missouri, and is the medical director of Precision Fitness and Medical Spa. She's also the mother of four beautiful children, and her husband, Daniel, is a firefighter. Daniel and Dr. B are real live superheroes who save lives, care deeply about others, and are incredible parents. We are, in ble- we are blessed to have Dr. Becky on our team as a friend and as our primary care physician, and she's been our doctor for almost nine years now. We, are, we were impressed by Dr. Becky from the beginning, as she is truly a doctor that thinks outside of the box, takes time to listen, and has a full spectrum approach to medicine. It is an honor to have her as our collaborative physician at Precision and as our first official guest on Younger by the Minute. Hi, Dr. Becky. Hello. Hi, welcome to the show. Thank you. This is exciting. Yeah, we're really pumped to have you on here. I'm really excited in the fact of one, you know, personally being able to work with you one-on-one, not only um, as with your, as our medical director, but also as a patient of yours, what intrigued me the most about you is your insight when it comes to functional medicine and not just mainstream medicine. That was the big thing that really appealed to me. Mm. And you're very open um, to learning and finding new ways, even with that conference that we went to to Las Vegas. You know, I just think that that's a really nice niche of yours that separates you from a lot of doctors out there. Well, I enjoy, um, I don't know, I like to figure out why things work and um, by understanding that and always asking why it drives me to do things a little bit differently over time. Um, I was trained a certain way and then I've evolved into finding answers in a better place. Well, actually, I guess I wasn't trained to find answers. I was trained to identify a disease and treat it. Um, And I think that's, I mean, doctors and medical professionals, that's what we do. Um, But providers have a tendency to get stuck there. And it's, it's, we don't know we're stuck. It's just that we, we see a problem. We're like, oh, I know how to treat that. Um, Or what I thought I was doing was fixing. I know how to fix that. Here's a medicine, you know, whatever pharmaceutical it lined up with. And I just wrote away tons of scripts and then another script, another script, but I never saw people happy. Yeah. So, you know, what was the catalyst for change there and your thought process and how you practice medicine? Because I think that from our approach in America and the traditional training is Mm -hmm. to go to the symptom or, you know, just Mm -hmm. prescribe versus finding the root cause. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I kind of stumbled into it. I always wondered why people were so tired and why they're so, I don't, the common complaints, tired and weight gain and just all these other diseases, the why behind it. I didn't know how to answer the why, because it was I knew that it wasn't just because people are lazy. Um, That's part of it. But um, figuring out the why behind stuff led me into just a better way to solve the problems, I guess. But um, a functional medicine, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know it was functional medicine when I was exploring these root cause scenarios. Mm -hmm. And then I realized after the fact that, oh, what I'm doing is 
I guess it's called functional medicine. This is kind of cool. Um, those people aren't weird after all. Um, they, they are the ones that have the true answers. You know, when I started practice, I knew that there were pockets of doctors that were doing this, but we just thought that they were, you know, they're gone rogue or those concierge people, you know, they just, they don't have a clue of what it really takes or whatever, but people that do that, they do it because they, they have a taste of what it's like to actually watch people do better sustainably and it's gratifying. And then the system is draining. So who would stay in the system? That's like a trap. Well, and I, I know your why as does Jamie. And so that was going to lead me into like, why did you decide to become a physician and when? Well, I, I was really young when I wanted to be a doctor. I was seven when I decided, Hmm, I think, you know, I really like fixing things. I'm going to, uh, fix, uh, animals. My family hunted and I was always present whenever they would gut a deer. And I was just fascinated by the anatomy of the animal and why things worked and how the heart was all the chambers and different little things like that. And then I didn't sit with the veterinarian idea very long. I quickly moved to people because I would probably have a better chance at fixing a problem if I could speak with mm -hmm. um, people. And so it kind of started there, I would say. And yeah, as far as my childhood, I just kind of always wanted that. I, you know, didn't think I could do it, but that's what I really wanted. Um, so I work towards it. I don't know. <laughs> I like that because you are doing it. You're very successful at it and you have a very strong following. And I mean, you do it while juggling a lot of other things. And I think also just being a female in a man's world, I I know it's mm -hmm. changing, but it's, it's, it's nice. Right. And I'm kind of going back with what you had said earlier. It's like, you know, even with, with nutrition, with me is like, you know, I get into a, a groove where I think like, okay, I, I know what's, what I'm going to do with this client, but then all of a sudden that client throws me a curveball, and it's like, okay, that, why didn't that work? Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. And, and then I have to go in back into looking like, okay, you know, I'm getting a little too cocky with my approach. So I have to come back to the basics and figure out what is the symptom causing the cause, mm -hmm. not just treat the cause because that's, yeah. you know, I just look at someone, I just get repetitive and I'm just treating causes again. Cause I just, yeah. look at the cause and I'm like, I think I know it. And then I get proven wrong at some point. Yep. So, yep. I've been there many times, right. many times, <laughs> even, even recently, you know, it's just, we always, always learning. Well, and that's the thing. I remember when I worked in plastics, you know, I was doing these procedures on people that, you know, it was a rhythm and you have your rhythm. And then the patient is always the variable. I had this one, I was doing IPL on someone did it all the time on this patient. And one time she just had a really bad reaction. And the physician that I was working for was like, well, you could do the same thing a hundred times. And it's not always going to be the same because mm -hmm. the patient is the variable. And, you know, one thing, Dr. Becky, that you taught me was to even look even more like, I think Jamie and I think outside the box a lot, just because of how I came into medicine. I came in kind of the back doorway, like looking at skin first and the nutrition, but you've talked, taught me about mold and other variables that I never even thought of that people could be exposed to. And I don't think people realize what the environment can do and how it can derail them. Yeah, no, that's a huge deal. Um, our environment, the there are variables we have control over that we don't know we do. 
that matter significantly for health beyond just eating right? And what is healthy eating anyway? Because physicians, unless they have a personal drive to learn these things, they're not, we're not taught what nutrition, I, I mean, I, for the love of God, it was the food pyramid from the sixties <laughs> still matters. Everybody um, on 55% carbs. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> How has that worked out for right. us? You know, um, but we just eat less, move more. Um, that's what we think might work for people as far as anything connected with poor nutrition, but it's, it's just way more complicated than that. Um, people that are really heavy they don't it's it's not for lack of trying right right it's it's way more complicated than that otherwise if it was just a matter of effort then everybody would be a bean pole and right that's true absolutely agree and then you know like you said it's not from lack of effort i think people really do do their due diligence to figure out what is the best approach but with Mm -hmm. all the content that's being put out there with all the different types of nutrition programs is like what do you follow and Mm -hmm. then Unfortunately, I feel like we live in a society of convenience. So everybody's going to the more convenient foods and they they say healthy on them, but reality is they're really not that healthy with all the preservatives, the the bad sodium that's in it and stuff like that. It's just that is putting on that toxic load on that body, which is I think a big thing that we see in today's society is the toxic overload that's the, the stress on the body from the choices we're making. Yeah. And what drives a lot of the stamp of approval for American Heart Association or Heart Healthy or um, ADA, American Diabetic Association, the labels that arrive on food is really kind of more marketing than anything. Yeah. It's not nutrition. No. It's, it's, it's misleading. It's unfortunate. Um you know, yeah, it's it's very unfortunate. Our system's broken. It's sales propaganda. Yeah. It, it all is. Cause like we're the only country where we have pharmaceutical commercials on the TV. Um oh, don't get me started. And uh. then, you know, and then we're taught like the books are written by pharmaceutical companies. We're not like I, I always thought it was interesting, even in nursing school, we don't really go over nutrition. We go over carb counting and mm-hmm. all that stuff, but it's like learning how to it's learning about cars, but not learning about what makes an engine run well. It's, all of our medical journals every like printed copy has it's so full of pharmaceutical ads it's crazy um yeah the the research that is driven by pharmaceutical industry and you know there's plenty of people on this side of the dirt i always say this plenty of people on this side of the dirt because of the medical system that we have it's just it it, the pharmaceutical industry turned into this monster and it's our knee-jerk reaction to put a pharmaceutical on a problem and that it's a band-aid it's a band-aid um, if we don't fix and work towards understanding and correcting the root cause of the the behind why symptoms are there, then we're going to be on that drug forever. Yeah. And then another drug to treat the side effects that didn't show up for several years from that initial drug. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, and that brings me to my next question. What was the catalyst that created change in how you practice medicine? Well, um, I, so my husband started showing signs and symptoms of Crohn's disease. When we were really young, we were in, uh, uh, we lived at Cayman Island at, we lived in Cayman Island at the time and he started bleeding, having a lot of gut issues. And, you know, fast forward, that was mm, in the early 2000s, 2004, 2005, several years of intermittent gut trouble. And when I was a resident, in training, he was finally diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And 
the GI doctor, whom I respect very much, um, said that the Crohn's didn't evolve because of anything more than chance. Sometimes genetics plays a role, but mostly not. And that diet and nutrition had no place for why it evolved nor why it flares. But I was living a personal experience that begged to differ with that approach because I knew exactly if he had certain things that his gut was a wreck. And so I was on a mission to kind of prove a point there. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to figure this out. Yeah. Um, and then also I started having my own symptoms of like rheumatoid arthritis and I got the markers checked and I was positive and I'm like, uh, okay. I, I don't want to go down the road of, Oh, let's just be on a, uh, a drug that destroys your liver. And I just didn't want to go that route. I wanted to figure out a better way. So I didn't have rheumatoid and, then I started learning. Like there was one day that I woke up and I was in so much pain. Um, and I, I hadn't even worked out in days. So I did nothing to deserve that pain in my mind, but my hands were throbbing. My back was, I, I was, it was, I was like crippled. And I started thinking about, Hmm, what was it that, what is causing this? So the day before I had a lot of green beans, I ate like a ton of them because I ate the leftovers from my kids green beans, lasagna. Um, so and gluten and red sauce, the, the nightshades and the lectins and the, lectins, yep. yeah. And I never drink juice, but that was the night that I decided to like down a whole thing of orange juice. So all of those things were so inflammatory to my body that I was paying the price for it. And then I started figuring things out there. And then I started connecting that with, Hmm, wait a minute. What, what types of foods are going to make Crohn's worse? So yeah, then one thing led to the next. Well, I know how all three of us don't believe in coincidences. I feel like that happened to you for a reason so that you could then better serve your patients and mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when it's personal, when something becomes a change that you personally go through and you personally feel the pain, like mm -hmm. Jamie, you with bullying and myself with my own GI issues and acne, like we all knew that, okay, this isn't, this isn't the way that it's supposed to be, you know, there has to be something, something there. And so it's just, it's really nice that you took that and you didn't get stuck. Well, also pain is quite motivating. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, a person that has pain does not have energy. The body cannot, they can't coexist. The body takes ATP, which is a unit of energy, and it diverts it to create signals for pain, which leaves less of a reserve for the mind to function. Yep. And I can't work and do what I do mm. with low energy. Um, so pain is one, one thing, but it just equals the low energy. And it, ugh, I'm like, I, I got to fix this. We got to figure this out because I'm not just going to be on drugs forever. Well, it's like showing up to work hungover every day. Yeah. You're tired, you're unfocused, you're living on caffeine drinks or coffee. Which it, then it makes just, it worse. Yeah, it just makes it really hard to get stuff done. But like you were saying, Danielle, you know, with my autoimmune with psoriasis, you know, it got to a point where I was on Embro and Humira. Well, I got to a point where I didn't have insurance at that time, so mm -hmm. I couldn't afford it. So the only way I could keep that at bay was through proper nutrition. Like I had mm -hmm. to clean everything up. It was no matter of if I had to, because mm -hmm. if I didn't, then I had to deal with that uncomfortable embarrassment of like plaque acne all the way up and down my elbows, um, in my scalp, on my knees and my chest. So I learned right there from the, that point, like when I was forced into cleaning my diet up and exercising more and detoxing properly, it all came down by itself. 
And so I've never, it's been seven plus years since I've been on any type of medication for it. Yeah, those are the same medications that are used for inflammatory bowel disease yep. and our rheumatoid as well. I was going to say they're all autoimmune yep. yeah. drugs. Daniel was on Humira for a bit. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. No. It's. Yep. They're all in the same category of pharmaceuticals, and they're so expensive. Gosh, man, they're right. so expensive. Thousands of dollars a month. It's crazy. Since we're talking about Daniel, how I think listeners would love to hear about how you met. Yeah. Um. Well, I met him. So my husband is originally from Mexico and I was this young, very focused uh, kid. And it was my fresh after my freshman year of college, I was majoring in Spanish because that was the easy thing to do and minored in biology while I was trying to do pre-med. But anyway, um, I went to Mexico on a mission trip with my youth group. They asked me to go to translate and Daniel grew up in the church that we worked with. And I, it was kind of funny, the whole long road trip down my, my friends and my youth group, and they were all saying, we're going to get you connected. We're going to have you hook up with a Mexican. I'm like, "Uh, no, you're not, (laughs) you know, I'm really tall and white and they're really (laughs) tiny, short, dark, you know, and you got, have you met my family? (laughs) They're, they're just, you know, no, it's not going to work anyway. So here we are, um, 20 years later, but no, um, I saw Daniel and was like, Oh, that dude's not Mexican. (laughs) He's that short. Like, where is he on? Is he on a mission trip here too? You know? (laughs) Which is interesting to think about because, you know, you would think with that underlying autoimmune, you know, I mean, he still grew, you know, like, I mean, I don't know. Oh, well, his Crohn's didn't show up until later. later. Yeah, yeah, it didn't flare because the food in Mexico, even though it's still processed, it's not as terrible as it is here. So it was after leaving Mexico that it flared. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. But I would have thought that the Cayman Islands would have been a little bit more... So that was within like, okay, so I'm just trying to do the math. That was like five to six years later because okay. we were married three years later. And then a few years into our marriage is when is, okay. we moved to Cayman for a bit. Okay. And so you've yeah. been here. So he was 26-ish. Yeah. That's crazy. No, we, yeah. So before um, he turned 30 anyway, so. That's, it's still though, it was after he left. <laughs> yes, it was. Crazy. I know, I know. But again, like little things and not to have Daniel's sacrifices be like why you're just such a big superstar, but at least you're using it for good. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> using um, from that perspective though, and just being stressed out, how do you balance being a physician, a wife and a mother? Well, sometimes it can be a challenge to feel like I need to make everybody happy. Um, I learned, I've learned a lot from Brene Brown and her work and um, you know, coming, stumbling upon her stuff has been liberating because I've been able to learn ways to make sure that I'm not just trying to please people that I, I set boundaries and I learn how to ask for help, which was not anything that came naturally for me. Um, but yeah, I have to ask for help and I have to set boundaries and I have to be okay with knowing that people are going to be upset and not be happy. Um, and it's okay because I can't make everybody happy no matter how hard I tried. And that was exhausting. I wasn't prioritizing my own 
emotional health and peace. Mm -hmm. It was actually a, a weakness by trying to please everybody was a, a, a big problem because it showed that I didn't respect myself and love myself enough to honor myself and limit my, you know, uh, my frantic nature of like trying to make everybody happy and have everything perfect and blah, blah, blah. I've, I've just had to learn how to ask for help. I'm thankful that my parents live like two miles down the road mm -hmm. because woof, it takes a village. <laughs> it just does. It's, no, and I, it, it's interesting that you bring that up because I know when I talk to my clients, it's like, I prioritize your fitness, health and your family then social. And I always put yourself first, your fitness first, because if you're not taking care of yourself the way that you need to be, like what you were saying, then you can't be taking care of everybody else to your full potential. You're just going to burn yeah. yourself out. Yeah. It, oh, very much so. And you're not just burn yourself out, but you're putting your own health at risk mm -hmm. because you're not taking care of yourself. It's so hard though. It's like when you hear that announcement in the airplane, like it's like, make sure you put your mask on first before you put on mm -hmm. the person that's next to you. In my head, even still, I'm like, well, if I was with someone I care about, I'm going to put their mask on first. Like, I've, or if like I was a mom, you know, mm -hmm. but I will say you have been very helpful to me because you've watched, you, you know what I do and running a business and all that. And it's like, I still struggle with that perfectionism of trying to make everybody happy. And you're a very calming, like grounding person. And it's, it's hard because when you do try to do too much for too many people, it yeah, is yeah, it's it ego does. stepping in a little bit and then whatever insecurities you have of trying to be perfect all the time. Yeah. So I give you a lot of credit because as we were talking, I don't even know how you handle being a mother of four. <laughs> yeah. Well, having a practice. Right. Yeah. Just uh, lots of help and learning how to ask for help. And um, I don't know, taking time for myself. It just, when I didn't take time for myself and I was always last, uh, it's just exhausting and overwhelming and I don't like being, I don't like feeling that way, just trapped. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's, yeah. Anyway. Um, do you have any tips for people besides like, I guess, just making sure that they prioritize what's important and having boundaries? Yeah. Being know? okay with, we're not responsible for the feelings of others. And so right. disconnecting, being kind and setting boundaries and being okay with, it's okay to be upset, but it's not okay to throw a fit and to call names, um, that kind of thing. Even just with everyone you interact with, um, you know, I don't have to say yes to every social engagement invitation because I, I prioritize my own, I need my own time and space. And that runs me, mm -hmm. it runs me, whew, it exhausts me to keep up with that. I'm just a natural introvert i, I like saying, to be in my own head right i think jamie is the most extroverted of, of all of us but with what we all do with the amount of people that we're around all the time especially with you like you see a lot more patients because of how your practice is set up mm -hmm. um it's just exhausting i mean you mm -hmm. don't realize how sucked dry you can be because you have to be extroverted even though you're one-on-one -on -one. yeah you have to be, have to be yeah. yeah like the waiting on tables those days when, I don't know, like a lot of energy and, yeah. you know, it's like showtime. So go time, showtime. Um, I put my game face on, which means my makeup, right. um, <laughs> just so that I look alive, you know, and I can right. kind of match the image to where I want to be, even if, if I'm not emotionally at that point at that time of day. Um, but yeah, it's, 
it's a lot of give, 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 give. And I've learned also that I can't make, I need to meet my patients where they are. And I can't just crank out a ton of like, change in a person who's not ready for it you know but i'm so excited you know if you did this this and this it would change your life but well and that actually leads into because we were talking about these earlier but like what do you think is the most challenging part of being a family care provider well i think the most challenging is not having the resources to be able to help people at at the level that i would like to because their financial limitations are barriers. Um, but also my limitations are time and the extension of what I know how to empower people to do. Um, and I, it's, it's hard to see them suffer too. Like, uh, knowing families for, I have families that have been with me since residency, since 2010, early 2010. And I've watch their children grow. And I know the ups and downs of the drama in their lives and just different things. And when I lose patients too, it, mm-hmm. you know, doctors are people too. You know, like, <laughs> that's, uh, my sister-in-law said that like, they need to realize that doctors are people too. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, I'm sad. Just like, you know, I feel that way about, you know, and that's when I was thinking about questions to ask you, like, what is something that people might misunderstand or not know? I think when people step into a role, like a physician or even like a firefighter, like your husband, um, they don't realize the amount of stress and pressure. And so it's just, I think people do need to remember that there's a lot that goes at it and everybody's just trying to do the best they can. Yeah. And there's burnout. I mean, there's true burnout. Well, not like that, but in those positions, I mean, the job and the stuff that you see doesn't get left at work. You know, it's not like a right. nine to five job where you just close your computer up and put your stuff, pack your desk up and you go home so and, and, and life continues. I mean, you know, for like, with Daniel, the stuff that he sees as a firefighter, the same thing with you, like an ER and stuff like the, the normal individual does not can even grasp what that's like. And like I said, the, the stuff mm-hmm. that you carry and take that home with, I mean, that's a lot to carry on. And so, yeah, I think people need to be very sympathetic about when they are meeting with these people. And sometimes I know in your case too, your hands are even tied from what you can do from in your own practice. And yeah. in as much as you'd like to do something, yeah, it depends on what the insurance companies will allow you to do or approve and stuff like that. Your hands are kind of tied. Yeah, it's a big deal. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I even want to touch on the ER thing. Like I know that you did that a while back, but and you've had to touch different parts of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost would think like family care, because kind of what I'm now going through, and I can only relate it to myself with your help and I freak out all the time, but it's like these small little decisions, like you have the ER and it's could be, you know, chaotic and mm-hmm. really traumatic but then also like thinking okay did I do the right thing did oh I yeah I have the patient the right medicine mm-hmm. and family care like you know or yeah I, well I mess up or you know like that's the reason the why I wanted to do family medicine like I always I grew up in like this I was obsessed with the ER you know like I watched it every Thursday night at nine o'clock you know like <laughs> group of my friends we all got together I was obsessed and I even I worked in the ER before I even went to school and that's what I was going to do. There wasn't any switching. That's what I was going to do. And then I realized like the continuity, I didn't get to see when I rotated through there, even before, when I was a medical student, I hadn't applied to residence residency yet. And I, I was really, um, kind of saddened by, wait a minute, they're not going to, they know if the patient lives or dies, but how do you know that 
the long-term effect of the choices you're making and how you're guiding patients. You don't see that. I'm like, I kind of like to like know how, how I'm doing, get that automatic feedback to see like, oh, wait a minute, that's not going to work. And this, you know, and the continuity was a big deal and just being involved in someone's life story. Yeah. Like how it plays out. Yeah. 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 Like you're the director. And yeah. And seeing how just little tidbits will start to plant seeds in people. And then they like grow into this whole new individual a couple of years go by and I'm like, Oh my gosh, look at you rocking it. it. You know? And it just started with the comments of whatever it was that I was onto the theme of that phase of that quarter of the year. I'm always on to like new themes kind of as I learn new things, it spills over to my patient population. So I just realized that you are like a actual seed planter and then you're really good at like seed planter, letting it kind of do what it needs to do. Cause like, and she's very quiet. Like if mm. she'll talk, but then she lets you talk. So she lets you kind of, she's like a therapist. Right. I don't know. You're my patients think I'm a therapist. I go through so many <laughs> tissues. It's just like, I reach back for the tissues and they're like, oh, I'm like, don't worry. This happens every day, all day long. It's a safe space. It's a, I'm not in your social world and you don't have to hold your stuff together for me. And you're not judgmental. Right. No, like a, a lot of all. doctors that I've had in the past were like, you know, we were talking this morning about me growing up Catholic. We're like the priest that I went to confession with. Like, I was like, oh my God, I'm afraid to actually be honest right oh. now. Like, <laughs> you know, but I can be honest with you. So it's- that's how I felt. And that's <laughs> like what I opened up with, you know, when I became your patient, I was just really impressed on how open-minded you were and you weren't judgmental or anything like that. And that's, I'm, we're very fortunate to have you as a doctor like that, but mm-hmm. as a medical director. And I just wish that more people had that opportunities to have doctors like that. And I'm not saying there's, there's a lot of great doctors out there. Yeah. Um, and I understand that a lot of them are overwhelmed and they just got to get through the day themselves. But, you know, we are very fortunate in that aspect. Very. And actually you just led me to the next question. What suggestions do you have for patients looking for a primary care physician? Mm. Like how would they interview their doctor or what to look for? I remember being interviewed by patients when the practice was growing. It was a startup practice and it was just kind of fun to be like, "Mm, you going to choose me? Like what kind (laughs) of show am I going to, you know? Um, But when it's, it's hard just looking for someone that's just going to listen They don't have to have all the training and all the degrees, just someone that'll hear you because I feel like a lot of providers will just go in the room and already assume they know what's going on and how to fix it. And they're not listening. And it might be something so simple. It might be because, you know, one of my patients, she was uh, wondering why in the world her hands were so numb and she thought she was doing the carpal tunnel stretch the right way. And she was doing it the opposite. She was doing this, like, instead of like a praying hands she was folding her hands inward and doing like upside, upside down, like praying mantis, which is going (laughs) to, it's going to pinch the heck out of the carpal tunnel and make it way worse. She's like, and I'm doing my grip exercises. So, um, had I just said, okay, carpal tunnel, let's whatever, you know, I mean, it was a simple fix, but just listening. And so I don't know how to say, um, how to filter or search for a a provider without meeting them to know if they're going to listen. But if, if you get a vibe on that first visit that they're not going to look you in the eye and just be open to what your concerns are, then just move on. It's like a, it's like a marriage, right? Or, you know, I guess that's the best thing. Like you can't, not everybody, not every physician knows everything, just like your spouse or whoever you're with is not going to 
always be the best person. So it's like, as long as you can listen and hear each other and then always strive to do whatever it takes. So like, Mm -hmm. for example, if your physician doesn't know what might be causing you problems, Mm -hmm. but they're willing to learn and look into it and call a colleague or whatever, that's all, that's all you need. Yeah. Cause there's no way for everybody to know everything all the time. And they don't, and they don't a famous, well, a line that is a red flag. So maybe this will be helpful. A red flag is if there's an idea brought up and the provider, the physician is not familiar or it's uncharted territory, or it's not something they're well versed or studied on, then the response tends to be, oh, well, there's not research on that. Oh God. Or there's no science to prove that, Right. you know, but that just means uh, I'm not willing to check into that. So I don't, instead of like, um, scarring my ego, I'm just going to say there's no research because it's easier to justify that and let it be a closed door and move on. And they so. don't want to lose the patient because now it's become almost a monopoly, but that's a rabbit hole. We don't need to go down. Yeah. Um, For me, I, one of the, when I meet with clients and I'm kind of, we, I try to help them advocate with their doctor. One of the big signs for me is how willing does a doctor how far are they willing to go to pulling blood work? Like, are they just going to pull the basic stuff like T4, TSH, which really doesn't give us a lot of input on mm-hmm. thyroid. And then when the, you do go to the doctor and ask like, Hey, will you pull this? And if they kind of give that answer, like what you did, that kind of lets me know what kind of doctor they, they are. Yeah. I usually will say you might want to start interviewing other doctors. Yeah. Or if a patient, so a provider might be inclined to to setting those limitations because it's an uncharted territory zone for them. And if they're not trained on it, right. they might not want to pull the lab because they're responsible for the outcome right. of that. However, if a doctor is like, if one of my patients were to ask if it's a lab that I have not, I don't know much about, and this has been me many times, if they ask me, would you be willing to pull this lab? Sure. But I won't know how to interpret it, but I understand that doctors aren't just going to say they're not going to know something. Right. Right. I mean, I do because I'm confident in who I am and where I am and whatever, but that's kind of a hard thing to do when you first start out. What I think you think you also, when you don't know, you go learn. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know that for a fact. You introduced us to the the books, uh, Dirty Jeans, Uh you know, and I've been using that a lot and, you know, had you not introduced me to that and I, I still wouldn't know about it and I'll be able to help my clients even better. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, but you went outside your comfort zone and what you need to do. And you found, you learned on your own, you know, you didn't know something. So you went and you went and learned. So again, kind of what you said, when going back to interviewing doctors, if their approach is like, it's not in a science, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Then it, I think that tells you a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Research is all manipulated anyway. So the research that right. they do say there's no science to prove it is yeah. Anyway, no, that's well, it comes back to the variable of the client uh-huh. the patient because all the not research every- studies are based on a certain population as well. Right. You know, and not everybody responds to everything the exact same way. Mm-hmm. They don't. Well, for my last question, I have, what tips do you have for optimum health? Simple things, clean air, clean water, clean food. That's simple. Clean air, the air we breathe turns into water. It gets circulated through our whole vascular system and the body has to use the liver and kidneys to detox and eliminate toxic particles. You don't get to breathe in the good, keep the good. And then you breathe out the bad. Nope. doesn't work that way. I wish it was, that'd be nice, but um, the air we breathe matters and we can improve our health. I mean, if you think about the amount of air we breathe in that turns into water as gallons per day, 
And if you're breathing in air that's full of junk, mold toxins, industrialized particles, hairspray, chemicals, all kinds of cleaners, then your body's got to figure out how to eliminate that through the bloodstream. So yeah, clean air, air purifiers matter. That's where I was going. Clean water, <laughs> um, filter your water. Um, there's a lot of junk in water, including all kinds of Roundup and arsenic. Anyway, that, and then clean food. Clean food is at least doing the dirty dozen or avoid avoiding the dirty dozen when it comes to prioritizing organic dollars spent on groceries. Um, the dirty dozen, that's a, a list you can look up that the most toxic foods and produce that are not organic. And the, those are the ones you should buy organic for um, because otherwise you're inflaming your body way more than nourishing it. And then the last one would be good sleep, yeah. right? You know, like you can't have energy bouncing off the walls, thinking clearly and, and do that for very many days. If you don't have good sleep, it, crash and burn and chronic sleep deprivation is a huge issue. And that would go, I would, I could talk for a long time on that and how to hack it and light and I'm, I'm a nerd with it, but yeah, those, those categories are big. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. And I don't think many people realize that you have a toxic load. So, you know, it takes a long time for the body to start to show symptoms from, from toxins that you've been breathing in or consuming in any way or lack mm -hmm. of sleep. Mm -hmm. And the one I know we brought up earlier too, is like having a healthy bowel movement every day. <laughs> oh yeah. That's one where I, I know you run. I mean, that's toxic waste. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a big detoxification pathway is is going through that. You know, it's one way the body rids itself of estrogen. Um, you know, it's just ironic how many people think it's it's okay to only go to the bathroom like once every five days. Yeah, you know, your torso is a cylinder, people. Like when your cylinder is full of poo, um, just in case there's other ears, um, it puts pressure everywhere. Like oh, oh, you can't move. You can't bend over without like choking on acid from your stomach. It's just right. all the, this is bad. So. And you just keep beating, and you just keep compacting. Your back hurts, <laughs> and then you pee all the time, and you get sciatica. And right. it's right. true. Mm -hmm. You know, and they don't realize that the skin is a is your largest organ. So everything that you put on your body, I mean, everything, and the toxins are everywhere. So you just have to really, if you can have clean air, clean food, sleep. Sleeping will allow the body to detoxify itself very well. And solve a lot of problems that you don't yeah. even have on your radar as far as, you know, whatever problems we're dealing with day to day. You are going to have to help me figure out tape that sticks to a beard though. Okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll figure out. Yeah. <laughs> I tell my patients to tape their mouth shut if they're mouth breathers. <laughs> <laughs> she was kidding and I got no. to the Jamie and I was laughing. <laughs> yeah, no. My ideas are weird, but I just gave up caring on what people think, caring about what people think a long well, time ago. But you know what that, and I don't want to, I know we're almost out of time, yep. but like for someone that is a mouth breather that has chronic sinusitis, knowing that I've had, my sister's had sinus surgery and it wasn't really efficacious at all. You know, if you train your body to breathe back through your mouth, it mm -hmm. might be better. Yep. But yeah, no, there, it, the sinuses will rapidly accommodate to the demand placed on them. So, yep. Thank you so much for being our first guest. Yes. For Thank you for having you me. It's so exciting. Is Thank there anything you. else you want to say that we've left out? There's a ton I could say, but we're out of time. We're going to have you on many more times. So we'll have to come up with some topics and, and address those because um, there's a lot I would love to get into with you that I think would be very beneficial for people to learn. One of the big ones is like, again, getting back to how 
we can advocate for ourselves and we'll touch that on another time. Yeah. And maybe we can even have Daniel and we can do a couples thing because I think it's really important um, for people to have healthy marriages. Yes. So, Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. All right. Bye. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Younger by the Minute. I am your host, Jamie Spicer. I am Jennifer Spicer. And a big thank you to uh, Becky Rodriguez. <laughs> Everyone have a great day. Thanks for tuning in.